So last year, Rabbi David and I did a sermon series entitled Messianic Jewish Discipleship 101. Raise your hand if you remember that, that series. It, most of the sermons were like, why this or why that, right? Uh, he, and he and I alternated on uh, many topics essential to the foundation of our community. And uh, recently, I sensed the Lord's leading to go back to this series uh, and to continue where we left off. So the next couple of sermons that I will be giving um, are under the theme, Messianic Jewish Discipleship 201. So we're, we're in the next class. We're moving forward. That's worth a clap, sure. Um, yeah. I just uh, want to build on the foundation that we've laid as a community and I encourage us to move forward. Um, and the first sermon of the series is about discipleship itself, and is entitled, How to Disciple. All right, so this is the Messianic Jewish Discipleship 201. This is the intro sermon for that, for that series. Does that make sense? All right. So now there's no way I can cover the entire topic of how to disciple in one sermon, but I wanted to examine uh, one model that we have um, that's really good in Scripture, and that is of Rabbi Shaul, also known as Paul, and his relationship with Timothy. And the reason I chose this model is that because it's in the Bible, Paul's counsel to Timothy, the counsel that he gives him, is actually God-breathed. So it's very special. And moreover, it can give us insight and vision for our own discipleship relationships. One of the best examples of Paul's relationship with Timothy is found in the letters that he wrote, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So mainly I'll be drawing from those texts. But before I address the issue of what discipleship can look like, I want to ask, why should we disciple others and why should we be discipled? Sometimes my students will ask me, Senor Wine, do you know every word in Spanish? And then I will ask them if they know every word in English. And usually they'll say, oh yeah, sure, I know every word. And so I'll just ask them, I'll pick a, like an SAT word out of my brain, and I say, well, what does that mean? And then they'll just stare back at me. And then I'll ask them again the same question. I say, do you, do you know every word in English? And they'll say, hmm, I guess not, right? They have to say no. And then I'll say, well, me neither. And uh, I'm never going to know every word in Spanish, and I'm never going to know every word in English either. Not to mention all of the regional slang and the colorful expressions throughout the world. It, it, it's really an endless learning process. The trick is to never consider yourself fluent, right? But as a learner, whenever someone compliments my Spanish, uh, I'll usually say something like, gracias, siempre se aprende. Thanks, we're, we're always learning. I think that walking with Hashem is like this. You may have been walking with Yeshua for a few months, or you may have been walking with Yeshua for many, many years. But the fact remains, we all need to be sharing what we know, and we all need to be learning. You never arrive as a disciple of Yeshua. Not on this side of heaven, anyways. Moreover, discipleship is also a commandment of Rabbi Yeshua. In fact, it's the last commandment he gives 
before ascending to heaven. This is the, the words that he wanted to leave us with um, before, he, before he left for heaven. And it's found in the Besorah of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This is what Yeshua says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, this is the last message that Yeshua had for us. And notice that Yeshua didn't say to his Jewish Talmidim or his disciples, he didn't say, now go and get everyone to make a decision about my salvation and and that's it. Nor did he say, well, now that we've uh, been spending some time together and you've developed a relationship with me and have learned some things, just sit back and relax and I'll see you in heaven. No. He said, go and make disciples. Go and teach what I have taught you. Well, what did Yeshua teach? He taught on the application of Torah. He taught the true and essential meaning of the Torah. He taught about the kingdom of heaven, God's love and his ways, forgiveness, compassion, loving your enemies, etc. So Yeshua is commissioning his students to become teachers and to make other students who will then turn into other teachers. So the question emerges from this, based on this commandment from Rabbi Yeshua, whom are we discipling and who is discipling us? If the answer is nobody, then that is a challenge to be addressed. Who is your Rabbi Shaul? Who is your Paul? And who is your Timothy? Who are the people that God has called you in relationship with to help you grow in the Lord and for you to help them, for you to encourage? So now that we've seen the why, why it's important to disciple, let's look at a model of how to disciple. So Paul refers to Timothy as my son in the scriptures very often, but he doesn't just refer to Timothy as his son. It's not his, his literal son. It's his son in, in the Lord. Uh, at varying places in the scriptures, Paul calls him my son. Uh, he calls him a student. He calls him, but he also calls him a colleague, and he also calls him a co-laborer. So do these things sound contradictory to you? How can Shaul see him as a son and also as a colleague? Well, that's kind of the nature of discipleship mentoring and being in relationship with people. In my relationship with Rabbi David, he regularly met with me and he mentored me. But after a while, he would start to talk to me more as a colleague, more as a co-laborer. He invited me to serve as an observer on the UMJC delegates meeting, the meeting that we have. It's kind of like the intergalactic senate, right, for the UMJC. There's two from each congregation. And so I went just as an observer um, with two leaders. And then the next year, I went and I served with him, uh, um, alongside him as a delegate. I remember one time early on, I was on the phone with Rabbi David, and at the end of the conversation, he prayed for me. And then he asked, well, aren't you going to pray for me too? And I think what he meant was, 
hey, I'm not just mentoring you, I can also receive from you. Rabbi David saw me not just as someone that he mentored and that he encouraged, but also as a colleague, as a co-laborer. And this is the model that Rabbi Paul showed us. The way that he saw Timothy changed over time as Timothy matured. Like a parent raising a child to one day become an independent adult capable of raising their own children. This needs to be our goal with discipleship, to have that kind of vision. We need to see younger people that we mentor, not just as people that we pour into, but we need to have vision that this young person is a soon-to-be leader, a potential kingdom changer. This young person is a co-laborer with us in the work of God. So the first building block of discipleship is, I would say, a combination of humility and vision. Let's call it humilivision. Do we have humilivision with our younger disciples? Are we able to learn from younger disciples of Yeshua and not only teach them? And this brings us to the next building block of discipleship, which I will tell you in a moment. One of my favorite Proverbs is found in chapter 20, verse 5, and this is what it says. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. Purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight or discernment or understanding draws them out. So the purposes of a person are deep waters, but someone that has discerning can come and draw them out, draw out that purpose. So who are the disciplers who are willing to discern the purposes of others, the calling of others, and draw them out? So the next building block of discipleship is having vision to see people as they will become and not just as they are, to encourage people in their calling. So how did Paul encourage Timothy in his calling? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, he says this to Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you, when they gave you smicha. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Isn't that, isn't that good advice? I love that. Timothy is a young, emerging leader, much like myself. And Rabbi Shaul is encouraging him to operate in smicha, the ordination or the laying on of hands, the gift that Paul and the elders imparted to him to do ministry, to do his calling. Discipleship involves reminding people what their gifts are, encouraging them in their calling, allowing the Lord to develop them. He says to Timothy in the previous verse, in the same chapter, that is chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In other words, we need to encourage and disciple others by encouraging them in their calling. 
We need to remind them that God will equip them for every good work that he has prepared for them in advance. Isaiah. Isaiah, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, okay? But set an example by your behavior, okay? Yeah, that's good advice. That's Paul's. Paul's words, not mine. Paul also encouraged Timothy in his identity, his identity as a Messianic Jew. I say this because Paul had Timothy circumcised. So here's the background of that. Timothy's mother was a Messianic Jew, and his father was Greek. So Timothy had never been circumcised because of his family situation. Um, circumcision for Rabbi Shaul is it was a symbol of, it was a mark of Jewish identity, and it was a symbol of God's covenant with the Jewish people. Now, we as Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles understand Paul to be a Torah-observant Jew, even though much of the world does not see him that way. Paul says many interesting things about circumcision and Jewish identity, some of it which seem to be a little negative, but these can all be explained in context. The scope of this sermon, however, is not quite broad enough to go into Paul's complicated relationship with Torah and circumcision and Jewish identity, but that's another sermon, okay? Nevertheless, the text from uh, Romans 3, which Paul wrote, verses 1 through 2, is a good starting place to understand how Paul felt about circumcision as a marker of Jewish identity, and this is what he says. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? And then he says, no value, right? Nothing. Not worth it. No, he says, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. He says, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So with this in mind, let's look at uh, what Paul tells Timothy, his actions toward Timothy on this subject, circumcision, Uh, in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. This is what happens. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, co-labor with him. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. It's kind of a, uh, it's a big commitment, right, to, uh, to do something like that um, just, for, just for ministry. So how do we understand this text in Acts, and how does it relate to discipleship? You know, almost all the commentaries I read understood that Paul circumcised Timothy just with like a missionary mindset, you know, and that's the kind of the plain reading of the text. In other words, They did not understand this passage to be about Paul affirming Timothy in his identity as a Jew, the way that I understand it. uh, These uh, these commentaries say he had Timothy become like a Jew in order to bring the salvation message to Jews in a more authentic way. And this is the mindset of the early Hebrew Christian movement, right? The early years of our Messianic Jewish movement. Um, And there are many organizations that still operate under this mindset. In his book, Post-Missionary Messianic Judaism, 
Rabbi Mark Kinzer argues against this kind of thinking. And the title of the book gives a hint, right? It's post-missionary. We're, we're, we're past just doing Judaism to bring Jews to a knowledge of Yeshua. It's more than that. As Messianic Jews, we should not just keep the Torah to reach Jewish people. For one thing, this is what some mainstream Jewish organizations accuse us of doing. Rather, we should keep the Torah because of our calling and our identity in Hashem, our covenant with God. And this is what Paul was encouraging Timothy in, I think. My sense is that Paul did not have a missionary mindset, but a covenantal one. This is the man who asked in Romans 3, we just read it, what value is there in circumcision and in Jewish identity? Much in every way. Paul encouraged Gentiles to remain Gentiles and Jews to remain Jews. It's just one example of identity, right? And as it says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 20, only let each person live the life the Lord has assigned him and live it in the condition he was in when God called him, right? This is also written by Paul, encouraging people in their identity. This is the rule I lay down in all the congregations. This is Paul's halakhic ruling for all the congregations. Was someone already circumcised when he was called? Then he should not try to remove the marks of his circumcision. Was someone uncircumcised when he was called? He shouldn't undergo brit milah, or circumcision. Being circumcised means nothing, and being uncircumcised means nothing. What does mean something is keeping God's commandments. Each person should remain in the condition he was in when he was called. First of all, note, remember, this is Paul's rule for all congregations, meaning this is his ruling about Jewish and Gentile identity. Don't try to become something that you're not. Remain as you were when you were called. Now, is Paul speaking literally when he says that circumcision means nothing? I don't think so. By no means, as Paul would say, right? Rather, in the context, it means nothing compared to how God feels about us, how God relates to us. But as Paul maintains here, Jews should remain Jews and should be circumcised in accordance with their identity in God. This is how Paul disciples everyone, all the congregations, including Timothy, affirmation, and how God made them. So I believe that Paul was encouraging Timothy in his identity as a Jew. It was a move of discipleship to encourage Timothy to get circumcised, not just to have an answer for the Jews they were going to interact with, but because it was a piece of Timothy's identity and covenant that was not fulfilled due to having a Greek father. Therefore, let us encourage others and disciple them to walk in their identity, not just as Jew or Gentile, but as who God made them to be, right? Let's remind those we disciple that they are beloved, beloved by God, that they are children of the Most High, that they are created, they are designed and molded by Hashem himself for good purposes. When some of my students are just discouraged. Uh, some of them are a little bit shorter than others, a little smaller, right? I, I try to encourage them in their identity, and I say, hey, at least the rain hits you last. You know, it's, it's a small comfort, I know, but the point is that God made, made us with our physicality, right, with our personality, according to his will, 
And we should disciple others with this in mind. So we've seen that discipling others is about humilivision, as well as encouraging them in their calling and in their identity. But there is another way that Rabbi Paul encourages Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 19, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Excuse me. In other words, he's encouraging Timothy with Timothy's own vision to hold fast to the, to the prophecies and the vision that he has received from Hashem. This is not just about what, what Rabbi Shaul sees in Timothy, but about what Hashem has shown Timothy. Recently, we've been going through the story of Joseph, in all, in all, in our, in, you hear about that in the drashas, right? And uh, I have to imagine that Joseph, in the depths of the prison where he was kept for three years, encouraged himself in the Lord, reminded himself of the visions and the dreams that Hashem gave to him as a boy. The vision of his brothers and his father bowing down before him. The vision of who he was to become. Not in the sense of pride, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I should not be in prison. I deserve to be up there, right? He didn't, he didn't think that way. But in the sense of trusting God. I imagine Joseph thinking something like, even if I'm here right now, God has given me a vision for my life, and I will hold to that while I'm here in this dungeon, because God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to complete the work he began in me. Now, this is not just a sermon where I'm trying to only encourage you in God's calling and identity and vision on your life. This is a sermon where I'm encouraging you to encourage others. Be encouraged because Hashem cares deeply for you and your growth, but don't just be encouraged. Be encouraging. Think about and pray for the Rabbi Shauls and the Timothys in your life. And don't just pray that you find them, right? Pray for them once you're in relationship with them, and spend time with them, right? Relationship is about spending time with those whom God has called you to, to be in relationship with. Invest. Invest in those whom God has called you to invest in. Yeshua said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, and it's a pretty well-known verse, but I'd like us to say it together. A new commandment I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. There's that word again. If you love one another. The world will know that we are disciples of Yeshua if we disciple others, as he did in love. A great way to express love is to build discipleship relationships, right? Get coffee with someone. Give someone a call as Hashem leads. Ask someone older whom you trust if they will mentor you or meet with you regularly. 
Ask someone younger if you can encourage them in some way. By this, everyone will know that the members of Tikvat Israel are disciples of Yeshua by our loving, discipling relationships with one another. Let's pray.